All right, we're still going boldly today. We started this last week and, and we ran out of time. I could have either preached all afternoon or we could have just held some of it till this week. So I decided we would just hold some of it till this week. And not only that, but we're probably going to have a part three to this and maybe a part four. I guess it was a pretty lofty goal for me last week to think I was going to squeeze all that in in one week. So I decided we'll just take our time and we'll go through uh, these things uh, as long as it takes. But as soon as we get through with this, unless the Lord calls me in a different direction, we will uh, get back in and, and finish up 1 Corinthians. But at the start of this year, as we're as a church, I'm really trying to uh, help us to focus on uh, going forward, uh, to focus on going boldly, to focus on maybe some areas where we can adjust, some areas that we can try some new things, some areas that would would help us to reach people who need to be reached. After all, that's what we're here for as a church. Sure, we come as brothers and sisters in Christ to fellowship, and we come to worship the Lord, and we come to draw closer to Him and to learn uh, through teaching and through preaching and all of these things. And all of those things are a part of what the church is. But ultimately, as Christians, as a church, we are called to be on mission. And to be on mission for Jesus is to go out and to tell lost people about him, to tell lost people about the good news. And sometimes as churches, we don't do a good job of that. And it's not one church or another church. It's not one denomination or another denomination. It is sometimes just as human beings, there are things that occur in our life and we may uh, lose our excitement or we may uh, kind of get uh, to, to doing things a certain way. And as a result, over time, we just start doing what we should do. And so sometimes as Christians, we need to be reminded. That's why it's very important for us to be in God's Word on a regular basis. A little reminder, don't forget, as a church, uh, we're trying to read through the whole New Testament in, in a year. If you didn't get one of those sheets, there's some on the front pew. Just one chapter a day, five days a week, and at the end of the year, you would have read through the whole New Testament along with the rest of the church. And I think that there is some benefit if we're all reading the same things and can discuss those things uh, together as a church. So I'd encourage you to pray about that and do that if you would like to join those of us who are doing that this year. But it's important for us to, as Christians to be in the Word and to go back to the Word and to, be, and to examine ourselves, to look at ourselves and say, okay, God, am I living personally the way I should? Am I doing what you're calling me to do in my life? Is there sin in my life? Are there opportunities in my life that I'm not taking advantage of? Uh, we do that as a church. And that's what we're doing now. The church council, we're discussing a lot of things and we'll be discussing much more in the years to come. That's what I have been doing as a pastor and try to do from time to time is to look at myself and say, okay, what kind of grade would I give myself for the last year? And I try to be pretty honest and a lot of times I give myself a pretty bad grade. Yeah, there may be some areas where there's good, but there are other areas where there is bad. And so uh, it's good for us as Christians to be realistic about where we are. After all, God knows where we are. And after all, we don't want to just be getting by. We want to be doing good. And by doing good, I don't mean we have just a lot of people here and a lot of money in the bank account. But by doing good, I mean we are reaching lost souls and telling people who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that, in my opinion, is what a church doing good is, is reaching lost people. And so we want to make sure that we are doing a good job of that. And last week we talked uh, about that, and, and that's kind of really all we focused on last week was 
What is the purpose and the goal of the church? And that is for us to get outside of these walls. But we didn't really look into uh, some of the things that may hinder us from doing that or some of the things that, that may help us going forward. And so this week and probably next week and maybe even the next, we will, we will continue to, to kind of peel back the pieces of the onion, so to speak, and, and look at some of these different areas. Our goal, our focus that we're really going to try to, to stick to uh, moving forward is trying to find ways and opportunities and, and, and to prepare ourselves as a church to be equipped to go out and do God's work to preach and teach the gospel and to win souls to Christ and to bring them into this fellowship so that they can grow in the Lord. But oftentimes there are problems that arise in churches and it's not just us. And I'm not saying that we suffer from all of these problems. We may or we may not. We may have in the past. We may in the future. But the three things that we're going to discuss today, I believe, are important for all churches. Now, this isn't the only three uh, areas that could cause problems in a church. But these kind of sum up some areas that I think are beneficial for us as Christians to be aware of. To say, one, do we uh, fall into any of these categories? Are we, are, are we doing some things that we shouldn't be? doing and two to say okay we don't want to do this in the future if we're not doing it now let's make sure that we try to guard against that so we're going to look at a few different passages today uh, I don't think I've got them in the right order we'll be in Colossians chapter 2 verses 20 and 23 if you want to turn there that's in the New Testament We'll just kind of be jumping around, talking about a few different things this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you now, and I pray that you just be with me this morning as I preach and teach these words. I pray that you help me not to be long-winded. I pray that you help me to be to the point, and I, I pray that you help me to, to, to teach in a way that's understandable. I pray that your word would speak into our hearts. I pray that we examine our individual lives. I pray that we examine our church, dear Lord, just to see how we're doing, just to see how we, how we stack up with what you call us to, dear Lord. And if we're not doing good, help us to be honest in that way. God, we want to be honest, because if we're honest, then we can, we, can, we, can, we can figure out what we're not doing right, dear Lord, and seek you and come to you and be aware, God, and repent of those things and draw closer to you. God, if we're, doing these, if we're not doing these things, dear Lord, then help us to, just to seek your word and to, to be prepared that we don't ever get caught off guard as a church and be ineffective for you. God, help us in the days and in the weeks to come, both today's message and things coming up, that you help us to be more effective for you, dear Lord. That you help us to put the focus on Jesus Christ. Help me never to forget that as a pastor. And help us never to forget that as a church. And help that to be our goal, God. Let your Holy Spirit just draw us in that way as it already does. But help us to be able to discern and know what you're calling us to. God, fill us with a passion and excitement and a boldness to go out and do your work, God. And bring people to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One area we're going to talk about uh, this morning is legalism. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a, a big word maybe that some of you aren't familiar with or, or don't know what it means. And it's a word that I don't believe you will find in, in your Bible in any translation. But, uh, but sometimes churches become legalistic. There are three things we're going to look at today that, 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 that uh, could be dangerous for a church to keep a church from being 
ineffective of doing what God calls the church to do. One of those things is to be legalistic. What does it mean to be legalistic? To be legalistic means that you, uh, I, well, let's put it simply. I refer to it as the, as the check, as the check, uh, check box uh, uh, technique. That is, we kind of have a checkbox, and these are the things that we need to do. And as long as we do these things every week, as long as we check the boxes off, whatever they may be in our life, whatever they may be in, in churches, as long as we check these boxes off and we continue to do these things, everything is good. We're right with God. We're living life. We're checking the boxes. We feel good. Everything else that don't have a box, we can kind of get away with it, and it's okay. As long as we check the boxes, everything is good and that's being legalistic that's going through kind of a, a set of routines but not really getting anything out of those things and sometimes we do that as churches there may be some of us in here today who are legalistic that is, we're not really in a good relationship with God. We don't really read God's Word and get anything out of it. We don't come to church and get anything out of it. We don't put anything into trying to serve God. We don't give anything to God of our time, of our money, or whatever it may be. And as a result of that, we are not growing in our relationship with the Lord, and we are ineffective as individuals and in a church, as a church if that's the case. We're going through all these motions, and we may be doing a lot of good things, but they're not things that we're doing from the heart. And you won't find the word legalistic, I don't think, anywhere in Scripture, but, but you see that idea. You see that heart and that mindset of many people that Jesus encounters, of many people that Paul encounters in the New Testament. Many of the people that Jesus' day, I would label them as legalistic. That is, there were a certain list of things that they would do and that they would accomplish, and they wanted to make really sure that they were doing A, B, C, D, and all of these things. Uh, but at the same time, there were lots of things they were doing that were not even close to what God would have them to do. They would live in a way that was very sinful, but they thought because they were following those checkboxes and doing those few things that they were in right standing with God. God, all the while they had totally misunderstood what God's word said. Why? Because they weren't really seeking God. They weren't really trying to read his word. They weren't really listening to the prophets that he had sent. Instead, they were just trying to get by with doing the bare minimum, what would require the least of them. And as long as they did just enough and did just enough to check those boxes, everything else didn't matter. Now, when Jesus came onto the scene, he totally blew that whole idea out of the water, which is why they hated Jesus. Now, when Jesus came onto the scene, he began to rightly preach and teach God's Word. He began to tell them the areas where, hey, you've missed this. You've got this wrong about divorce. You've got this wrong about murder. You've got this wrong about the Sabbath. You've got this wrong about how you pray. You've got this wrong about how you give. And Jesus began to go and say, yeah, you should do these things, but you're not doing them with the right heart. You're doing them for the totally wrong reasons. And so Jesus was dealing with a group of people that I would label as legalistic in the Old Testament. And we're no better than they are. It's easy for us to fall into that same trap because the devil wants us to feel pretty good about ourselves. And, and we as human beings, sometimes we like that. We like to feel like we're kind of in control and we're, we're doing some good and we're kind of at part, at part to take some of, the, some of the, the glory for the good that comes from our life. And the devil wants to take all of the glory away from Jesus Christ and make us feel a little proud like we're somehow doing pretty good on our own. 
And that's what legalism is. We're, we're content with saying, well, I've done all these things, so that's good enough. But we don't want to fall into that trap of just going through motions. We want to fall into the trap of, of, of drawing closer to Jesus Christ and doing things that's going to bring glory to Him. Now, in uh, Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23, if you want to listen or read there, If you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Now, what Paul is essentially saying there is, look, don't worry about going through all these sets of things that you've set aside that you think you need to do all of these things. There are a lot of things that are put in place by men that if you do this, if you do that, if you do this, if you do that, all of these things are, are going to somehow make you in right relation with God if you follow all of these rituals. But what Paul is saying is, look, you have been freed by Christ. You don't have to go through these things and, and, and keep up this strict uh, set of, uh, of rituals that you're going to follow, but rather once we come to Jesus Christ and are covered by his blood, uh, none of these rituals are going to make us in any better standing with God. Any good standing we have with God is because of the blood of Jesus Christ and not because of the things we do. Now, does that mean that all of the things that we may do on our checkboxes are bad? Well, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with some of the things that we may do, that we may check off a list, that we may do on a daily basis. But we must not fall into the trap of legalism. We must not fall into the trap of thinking, hey, I do all of these things, therefore that is what gets me in right standing with God. As long as I do all of these things, well, some of the other things may can slide and I'll be okay. We don't want to fall into that trap. We want to read our Bible daily. We want to come together and worship one another. We want to come to Sunday school. We want to be prepared. We want to read so that the teacher can teach and we can understand. All of those things we want to do. But those things are just being religious. We can do all of those things and be very religious but not be a child of God. We can do all of those things and not be a child of God. But see, we can be a child of God, and if we are a child of God, then in turn, we will do those things. But it comes in a reverse order. We, we study God's Word, we come together, we fellowship, we spend time in prayer and in the Word daily because of what Jesus Christ has done and because we want to grow in Him and be more effective in Him. We don't do all those things because somehow that's going to give us a better standing with God. And so oftentimes when we are legalistic, we are simply acting out a role. There are many people in this world, and have been, who go to church every day of their life and who, who, who make sure they read their Bible every day and who say all the right things, they say the right words that church people are so supposed to say and all of those things, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are essentially acting out a role. And they think with, hey, I'm doing all these things, therefore everything is good between me and God. But unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, things are not good between you and God. Because it is only Jesus Christ and His blood that can wash away your sins. And we need to make sure as a church that we never fall into the trap of legalism. 
That is, well, we're doing all these things good, or we're doing X, Y, and Z, whatever those things may be. Therefore, we are doing a good job as a church. Are we impacting lost souls in our community? Are we helping the poor and the needy? Are we really growing in God when we come together and meet each week? Or are we just coming because that's what we've always done? We need to make sure that if we're coming to church and if we're serving God, we're doing it for the right reasons because we want to draw people to Christ, not because I do it because that's just what I do. And that's something that we have to be aware of and be careful of as Christians and as the church that we do not fall into the trap of becoming legalistic. Area number two that sometimes uh, can cause problems among Christians and among uh, believers in Christ and churches and that is something by the name of complacency. Now again, this isn't a word that you're probably going to find in, in your text. Some translations may have a verse or two uh, which may translate a word uh, as complacency. You probably won't see this word a lot in your Bible, but the idea, the act of being complacent is something that we see taught, I believe, on several different occasions throughout the text. And complacency means that you are happy with where you are, that you are content. Well, I won't say content. Those are two different things. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, complacent means that you're okay with where you are, that you've gotten to a point uh, where you're not ready to move forward. You're not willing to work harder. You're just, you're just pretty happy with where you are at. And as a church, we want to make sure that we don't fall into the sin of being complacent. We don't want to make sure that we ever say, well, where we are is pretty good. We've got to a pretty good spot. We've got a church van now. We've got a big building. We've even got our own band that plays here. We're doing pretty good. Everything is good. We're at a good, you know, let's just kind of hang out. I mean, the way we're doing things has worked for all these years. I mean, no need to kind of rock the boat. Let's just, we've, we've, we've got to a good spot. Let's just, let's just bask in the glory of where we have gotten to. And that's essentially what uh, being complacent is, is getting to a spot where you uh, no longer want to do anymore. And that's a scary spot to be. There are many churches, I would guess, throughout the history of Christianity that have died because they have become complacent. That have died because they have gotten to a point where they, were, they felt like they were exactly where they needed to be and therefore they stopped doing God's work and guess what happens? As soon as you stop doing God's work, you don't stay right where you are. You become effective. Maybe you stay right where you are for a little while, but we don't want to just stay right with where we are. We don't want to just set a goal and say, well, we've reached that goal. Whew, we're done. We've set our goal. We've reached our goal. We can stop now. No, if we set one goal and we reach it, we move on to another goal. I was watching a TV show the other night, and this uh, actor on there, one of the lines was, uh, when you reach the peak of one mountain, you find another mountain to climb. But sometimes as churches, what we do is we, is we set a peak, a goal, and we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to reach this many, we're going to get to 200 in attendance, we're going to get to 2,000 in attendance, we're going to have a, a, a certain size building, and we set these goals sometimes as churches, and, and, and it may be a big goal, and we reach the peak of the mountain, and instead of saying, all right, God, we've made it, what can we do for you now? We just set up camp. We're on the mountain, God. We did it. All right, let's just sit back and relax and enjoy 
But what I believe God's Word calls us to is when we do what God has called us to and we complete that task that God has, 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 put, us, has put before us, we don't just say, God, I've completed that task, I'm done. But we say, God, what will you have me do next? We look for the next area, the next opportunity as an individual and as a church to reach more people. But see, to become, to become complacent means that you, you become uh, proud and lazy. Essentially, that's what that means, that you are proud of where you are. You think you have made it. You think you have done everything. And as a result of your pride and thinking everything is as good as it can be and there's nothing more that you can do, you become lazy and you stop working for the Lord. We do that sometimes as individuals and we do that as churches. Now, there's a real fine line between being complacent and being content. Some of you are saying, well, well, shouldn't we just be content with where we are? Shouldn't we just be happy? No, there's a big difference between complacency and contentment. To be complacent is to be proud and lazy. To be content is to be humble and diligent. To be content means that you're, that you're humble, that you're not thinking too much about where you are, that you're, that, you're, that you're happy to have whatever you have, but you are still diligent to do the work of the Lord. You're not just saying, oh, I'm content, everything I got is what I'm going to have, I'm not going to do anything more. No, you're, you're, you're not doing things because you, uh, you're doing them for the wrong reason. You're doing things because you want to be diligent to better the situation. In the, the church's case, you want to be diligent to do the work of the Lord. And there's a, a fine line between being content and being complacent. There are some people who would be complacent and they would say, well, I'm just content with what God put us, where God put us and how God's using us. Well, are you being, are you being content or are you being complacent? Are you being lazy or are you being diligent? You see, as Christians, we want to be those who are humble and diligent. When God does a good work through us as a church, we want to give Him praise and know that it's not because of how good we are or how, how great we think we may be and pat ourselves on the back. Any good work that God does through us is because God does it. He allows us to be a part of it. And if we are humble, diligent servants, then we praise God and we continue to look and say, God, how can you continue to use us? We still want to be working for you. We don't want to give up. We don't want to be lazy. We don't want to be complacent. Amos chapter 6, if you want to turn there in the Old Testament. Amos chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. You dismiss any thought of the evil day and bring in a rain of violence. They lie on beds and laid with ivory, sprawled out on their couches, and dine on lambs from the flock and calves from the stall. They improvise songs to the sound of the harp and invent their own musical instruments like David. They drink wine by the bowlful and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into exile as the first of the captives and, as, and the feasting of those who sprawl out will come to an end. Now, these are God's word to his people uh, 
in the Old Testament, saying, here's what's happening. You guys have been blessed, obviously, by the Lord. God had blessed his people greatly. And as a result of that, uh, they were, had become complacent. They were just sitting back and essentially being fat and happy. There was no fear of the Lord. There was no desire to seek the Lord. There was no desire to do anything for the Lord. There was no desire to praise the Lord. They had been blessed by God, and they had plopped down in their riches and in their wealth, and they said, we are done. They weren't going to do anything. And God says, you have gotten into a bad place. This is what these verses are talking about. God is telling his people through Amos, you have gotten into a bad place. They had essentially become complacent. And God says, I am about to send you into exile. Now, we don't want to be like God's people here in the Old Testament. We don't want to be those as a church who become complacent. We don't ever want to look at how God has blessed us and used us and think, boy, look at how good we are. Look at how good we've got it. Let's just sit back and enjoy our building and enjoy our van and enjoy our band and enjoy our large bank account. We can't do that when there are lost people out there who need to be saved. We can't do those types of things. We can't use the good things we do to justify the better things we fail to do. And sometimes we do that as a church. Sometimes we use the good things we do to justify the better things we could be doing. Yeah, we could be doing more, but that's hard work. We don't want to do hard work. That may cause us to go somewhere that we don't want to be, to talk to somebody we don't want to talk to, to get somebody to come into this church that ain't got no business being here because they're a sinner. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do the better things that God may call us to sometimes. So as a result, we justify not doing it by saying, but look at all the good we did, God. Look at how good our apartment ministry is going. Look at how good this is. Look at how good that is. Look at all the other people that are coming to our sanctification. And then we justify it and don't feel quite as bad when we don't do the better stuff God's calling us to. Because after all, look at all the good stuff we've already done. So we don't want to fall into that trap of being complacent. We don't want to justify, use what we do to justify the things that God may be calling us to do. The last area we're going to talk about that could... Uh, to get a church off track and to keep a church from, from reaching lost people going forward is knowing our culture. Now, this is a big deal. This is an important thing for, for churches. As, as we want to reach new people and we want to reach lost people that have never heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is very important for us to know our culture. And what I mean by that is, is take a look around at how things are nowadays, and how they were 10 years ago, and how they were 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago. Think about the differences in our culture from the time that Jesus walked the earth till now. There are many differences in our culture. There are many things that have changed. For instance, there was a day when, when the fact that you could write a letter on a piece of paper and it could get mailed to someone in another state or on the other side of the country, on the other side of the world, that was, that was amazing. That was the technology for that day, is that somebody could put a handwritten letter on a horse's back and they would carry it to somebody else. That was part of that culture. That was part of that time. That was how people communicated. And then eventually, the phone came out. Can you imagine that day that you could pick up a device and you could hear somebody's voice that lived 
across the ocean from you. That's unbelievable. And guess what people started doing more of when phones came around? Yeah, people still wrote letters, but it'd be silly to write a letter when you can just pick up a phone. And then all of a sudden, the Internet comes along. Isn't that unbelievable? You can see pictures. You can, you can type out text. You can talk. You can see somebody's face while you talk to them. And as our culture changes and things in our culture th changes, uh, things begin to progress. And as time goes along, those old things kind of fall by the wayside. When's the last time you got a handwritten letter in the mail? Some of you may. If you know someone who's older, that older generation may still handwrite letters. But you'll notice this trend in your life. While there may be some really old people in your life that still handwrite letters, you'll notice that as each generation goes along, that generation is more likely to communicate you, communicate, communicate with you in the, in the format that is current in that generation. I'll tell you right now, if you send me a letter, I probably won't get it for days. You know why? Because I don't check my mail. And that's part of my generation. I'm not a mail checker. Everything I do, I do online. I don't get a whole lot of mail. I just don't check my mail. That's not a, a, a big deal for me. I don't talk on the phone a whole lot. That's not what, what my generation, and in particular, the younger generation does. Talking on the phone is just not how the current generation communicates. If you want to get a hold of me, the best way to get a hold of me and get a quick response is a text message. That's the way that, uh, that the new generation communicates. I'm not saying that phone calls are bad or letters are bad. But what I'm saying is, is that as culture changes, the way culture interacts with each other changes. If you want to send somebody a letter nowadays, they, they, they may not get it for a while. They may not respond. But if you want to get a hold of somebody quick, you can send them a Facebook message, and they'll probably get it instantly. And so as culture changes and communication changes, uh, the world kind of changes with it. And as a church, we need to see how the world is changing and how culture is changing. And we need to be aware of that as we try to reach people in this world. If we want to reach people for Christ, and I know that, that not everybody is technologically advanced and, and not everybody feels comfortable using a computer, and that's okay. I'm not telling everybody you got to go buy a computer. You can't be a servant of Christ. That's ludicrous. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, as a church, we at least have to have the mindset to know that if we're trying to reach a younger generation, then Facebook may be a better way to reach them than, say, knocking on somebody's door. There was a time in our culture where maybe going to someone's house for a visit, they would enjoy that. But in talking to some of the, uh, the people at the Mississippi Baptist Convention, and that's their job, and they have uh, gone out and they have tried to understand young people, they have come to the conclusion through their studies and through the work that they have done that most of the time the younger generation does not want somebody coming to knock on their door on their time off. They just don't want it. They don't want people to come knock on their door. They're not going to respond positively to that. But they will respond to a conversation on Facebook. Now that kind of takes us out of our comfort zone for some of us because, like I said, we may not all be comfortable with that. But my point is we can't keep sending out letters when the people we are trying to reach are on Facebook. And as a church, as we change and as we adjust and as the culture changes, we need to be able to relate to the culture and say, what is it going to take for us to hear our message? We will never change our message of Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified and resurrected. We will never change that message, Enterprise Baptist Church, as long as I am the pastor here. That message will never change. 
but our techniques will change. And so this week, you know what I did? And I hate this because I hate Facebook, but you know what I did? I made Enterprise Baptist Church a Facebook page because I came to the realization that you know what? We don't have any younger people, and as much as I hate Facebook, the people that we are trying to reach are on Facebook. So I created an Enterprise Baptist Church Facebook page. Ain't that something? Ain't that crazy? Now, it may or may not be up yet. It takes a couple of days for it to go. But, but I'll try to send you guys invites this week, and, and we will begin to post some of those pictures that Miss Angeline makes on there. That's a great ministry that she does. So that people all over can see those things. We can begin to post our sermons on there so that people can hear them. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Now, this is pretty cool. Now, about a year and a half ago, I started posting all of our sermons online. And I didn't know if we would, we would have much, uh, much response, if people would listen to them. But I looked this week to see how many people had listened to those sermons that have been posted in the last year and a half. There have been 3,000 people almost, a little short of 3,000 people, who have listened to those sermons. And do you know where those people are from? Everywhere in the world. I can look at every different spot that somebody listened to a sermon, and there are 50 different countries in the world in which somebody has listened to a sermon from Enterprise Baptist Church. Now tell me that's not unbelievable. Countries I've never heard of are on the list. And 20 people from that country and 15 people from this country have listened to a sermon from Enterprise Baptist Church. Those people would never have, have heard God's Word. Probably, maybe, I don't know. But it gives us an avenue to reach people that may not have heard God's Word any other way. Because that's where people are. That's how people are seeking for the Lord. They're doing Google searches about what does the Bible mean about this. They're doing Google searches about oh, what about Revelation and the Tribulation. And when they do those searches, there are sermons like mine and millions of others that are popping up and they're clicking on those and they are listening to them. Just an example of how as a church we just kind of have to, have to go along with the flow of the culture. I talked to a, to a pastor, uh, or evangelist, I should say, it hadn't been too many months ago, and he said he realized that the, 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 the style in which he dressed was affecting uh, the people that he was trying to reach. And he realized that when he changed his dress, that it was, it was more inviting for a younger group of people. He said he used to preach in suits and ties, and now he said he just dresses really casual. He says he don't like that. He don't feel comfortable doing it. That's not what he wants to do as a pastor. But he said the people that he's trying to reach respond better to him dressing casually than him trying to wear a suit because he's trying to reach a new generation where their culture is different. I've been talking a lot to the people at the Mississippi Baptist Convention, talked to lots of different people up there in the last few weeks, and they have told me, we have realized that we are doing some things that are really ineffective. We have noticed that there are some things that we have been doing for years, and they're not having an impact with this younger generation. So we are changing the way that we do things as Southern Baptists. And we have to, church. I mean, that's just part of it. You know, we, uh, churches in the 50s didn't do things like they did in the 1800s, and, and churches now won't do things like they did in the, in the 50s, and, and none of us do things like Jesus did back in the day. But we change as we go along, and we have to know our culture and what people respond to. And maybe instead of sending a letter or knocking on a door, maybe it's sending them a message on Snapchat 
Facebook, all this hippie stuff. I got to learn about it too. I'm too old for this stuff. But, but as much as I may dislike some of it or, or not feel comfortable using it or not know all about it, as I was studying this sermon this week, and I said, you know, how can I be anti-Facebook and I'm going to preach this sermon about knowing our culture? How can I be missing such a, a pivotal spot that who knows, maybe somebody on there can see something that's going to draw them in here and draw them to the Lord? And I said, I need to get over my dislike of Facebook and do what it takes to reach people that need to be reached, to be all, uh, to be all things to all people so that some may come to know the Lord. John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verses 14 through 18. And Jesus is talking to his disciples or praying for his disciples, I should say, in these verses of John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Now Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he's praying a very important prayer for them. Because he realizes the struggles that they will face. Which are also the same struggles that you and I will face. If we are a brother and sister in Christ, if we have made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we are not of the world. The world is the devil's, the sin, the corruption. This old world belongs to the devil, and it will one day be destroyed along with him when he is cast into the lake of fire. We are not of this world if we are in Jesus Christ. We are of Jesus Christ. We are otherworldly. We are of the kingdom of God that is not in this world, but in the world to come. But even though we're not of this world, as Jesus recognizes of his disciples and as of us, we are still in this world, and we are still in this world to build the kingdom of God, to draw other people into the kingdom of God. And he knows that that will not come without its struggles. Jesus knows how the people have treated him and would eventually treat him by nailing him to the cross. And he knew how they would treat his disciples, who history tells us many of them uh, suffered some pretty hard times and some bad deaths. And he knows that the same thing is going to happen to you and I. Because we are not of this world. We are of God's kingdom. And we are on this world, and we are constantly encountering people who are of this world. That is, they are sinners who have not had their heart changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we as Christians go to those people and we have the bold job of telling them that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Now that's something that a lot of people don't want to hear. Some people will openly accept that message and they will begin to think and the gears will turn. But some people, as soon as you mention that they are a sinner... Now, let me stop right there for a second. We need to be careful that we don't go out these doors saying, You're a sinner. You need Jesus. Okay, well, there may be times where we need to say that. I'm not saying that we don't tell people that they're a sinner. Yeah, we do. 
But we need to be prayerful and let the Holy Spirit guide us in how we broach that topic. We don't just skate around it and, and, and not tell them that. That's what draws us to Jesus is us realizing we're a sinner. But we have to realize that when we get to that point, whether we shake our finger and say you're a sinner, or whether it's just simply through reading text in a loving, kind way, point out to them that they are a sinner, there is going to be backlash in many instances. And Jesus is praying for his disciples here. And Jesus prays for, for, for us too, I believe, in these uh, verses in this chapter. It's a good chapter. You can read it later. Uh, but it's important for us to realize we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And it's important for us to realize when we talk about knowing the culture and knowing changes, it doesn't mean that we embrace everything that the world does because guess what? There are many things that the world does that are just purely sinful. It doesn't mean that we do sinful things or embrace bad things because we say, well, if we're going to win people, we have to do everything where they are. No, there are some things that we draw the line on. But there are other things that, as a church, that I would say are indifferent that we say, you know what? This may not be the way I like. This may not be something I like or the way I want to do it. But there are people out there, and maybe they would listen to me if I reached out to them in this way. Maybe they would reach... Uh, listen to me if I if I spoke to them in a little different type of language if I didn't if I didn't uh, use a bunch of big long biblical language because that's what I do because I'm legalistic and I use glorify and praise and edify and, and what we do sometimes uh, when we do that is we're becoming ritualistic but what God really calls us to I believe is to be realistic if we want to reach people we've got to be real with people and sometimes if we're legalistic or if we're complacent, we may, we may go through these motions and we may act like everything's okay and, we, and we, we even post our post on Facebook saying, oh, look at this look at this new addition to the building that we have at our church. Oh, God is so good. Well, are we really praising God or are we really just showing off to everybody else, look how big our church has gotten. You see, sometimes I think we do those things, and sometimes we put off this appearance that we are so good because of the language that we use or because of the things that we do or because we may be praising God, but are we doing those things from the heart? Are we just, are we just being ritualistic? Are we just going through some motions? Because ultimately, that's not going to win a lot of people to Christ. But when we're realistic with people, when we go to them and we tell them, look, my life's a mess too, but you know what? Jesus Christ is cleaning my life up. He's forgiving me of my sins. He is helping me through it. When we, when we let people know, you know what? I'm coming to you as a sinner just like you. I have struggles too. Let's talk about it. Let's pray together. Let's work together, brother and sister in Christ. Let's strengthen one another. And I believe that this culture, that this generation that we are trying to witness to, that we are trying to win to Christ, we need to be real with them. Because that's what the young people nowadays respond to. Maybe that's what people of all times respond to. I can't speak to that, but I can speak to our generation. I can speak to my generation. Because I know people my age, and I know what they say, and I know what they're looking for, and I know what I say, and I know what I'm looking for. And I'm looking for somebody who's going to be real with me. Let's not sugarcoat it. But let's really dig into God's Word. Let's learn God's Word. Let's learn that we are all sinners trying to live up to what Christ calls us to, but not by our own strengths, but by His strengths. These are three areas that we need to be aware of, that we don't become legalistic, that we don't become complacent, and that we don't fail to acknowledge what's going on in our culture and as a result fail to reach the people we're trying to reach. 
as we are moving forward, as we are going boldly where no man has ever gone before, we need to make sure that, that the ship is well taken care of. We need to make sure that there are no chinks in our, in our armor. We need to make sure that there are no weaknesses. We need to make sure that all of these areas are okay. So as a church, as a group, as a body, that we are, we are strengthened and ready to go out boldly and reach those people that God is calling us to reach so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning. I pray that you help us as a church to think about these areas, to look at these areas, to, to grow in these areas. If we're, if we're being complacent, if we're, if we're being legalistic, dear Lord, that we don't, we don't do that because it's easy for us to do it, dear Lord. It's easy for us to feel a little too good about ourselves and not, and not uh, seek you and give you the glory that you deserve. But God, help us to, to not be found guilty of these things. And if we are, just help us to realize it in our lives. Help us to realize it in our church, dear Lord. And help us to, to be mindful of, of, of the world that we live in today. God, we don't want to compromise our beliefs and our, and our values. Uh, but we do want to be able to, to adjust some things we need to adjust. To try, to try to reach people we want to reach, dear Lord. Because we want to reach anybody that hadn't heard the gospel of Christ. But God, we want to reach some young people. We want to reach a generation that hadn't been, maybe hadn't been taken hold of by the sins of the world, dear Lord. We have to fight, God. So help us to have that boldness to fight. Because the enemy's fighting for, for another generation to corrupt, God. But we as your church, you call us to do your work, to do your will, to, to tell people the good news. So help us, God, to reach this generation and generations to come with your love and your grace and your forgiveness, dear Lord, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And help us to see areas we may be missing, God, so that we can reach this generation where they are, so that we can draw them into you, dear Lord, and they can come into this fellowship and they can grow in you, dear Lord. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.